You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell is joining us from the power of Beach Grove Wi-Fi. Joe Hopkins is joining us from the power of um, of Broad Ripple Wi-Fi. And all together, we are together here bringing you one another uh, the Colts Blue Zone podcast on this day as the NFL Combine workouts start to begin. We'll discuss what Chris Ballard and Frank Reich had to say during their press conferences at the Combine, talk about some highlights of uh, what uh, prospects we could be watching for that uh, the Colts could be targeting, especially when the first couple rounds there and the first couple picks uh, that they have in this draft. Uh, also, we're uh, completing our run through of the Colts position by position this offseason with the defensive backfield, cornerback specifically, talking about some free agents that will be available there. But first, the news around the league that the NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed to suspend all aspects of the joint COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. So, Chap, we made it through two years. We did not miss a single NFL game. There were certainly uh, some challenges to get every game in, but uh, as of now, uh, the NFL says no more. So it's kind of back to normal now. Well, and it, it, we'll see. And the, the one thing that and fans probably don't care much about this, but the media does, I would think the next, maybe the next final step would be having open locker rooms, which from a media standpoint is monster. It just is. Fans kind of get what they want and what they need the way we've given it to them through Zoom and through our, you know, press conferences in our press room where we're separated, but we're in the same room. But for for the media, the locker room is king. That's where you, you, you really generate stories. So we'll see. I think that's, that's the next final step, but boy, it's good. It's just good to get back. We were talking with Frank Reich, uh, what was it? Tuesday out in the hallway after he's done the podium, he said, man, can we were all just kind of clustered around him. He said, man, it's kind of nice being back close to you guys. So I think at some level, coaches uh, have missed it. Whether players do or not, I don't know. But it's good to see we're getting back to something much closer to normalcy. Yeah, it'll be be nice until uh, the the questions start to get a little more jagged, you know. It'll be, uh, yeah, they like it for now when uh, things are in the offseason and everything is all sunshine and roses kind of. Um, but Joe, I think if, if if we had talked to each other and if we had laid out like what you would want at the beginning of this pandemic, I think m- missing no games would have been at the top of the list, the the ideal scenario to get through it for the NFL. So um, in, in that aspect, the plan worked, even though they had to juggle things around a whole lot last year uh, to make it work with a couple teams in particular. But uh, but to to get through for two years and now drop these protocols, I'm sure the NFL uh, it can look back on it, and and at least they will say that they they did a good job, and um, and we like I said we made it through with without missing uh, without missing any of the the most significant uh, I guess uh, product of that the NFL puts out, which is the games itself. Absolutely, I'm you know still a little cautious, holding out that nothing happens for them to reinstate the rules between now and the fall when the games are actually played. But this is great. It's just one of many signs that are coming out. Uh, You know, you look around the country, mass mandates are being dropped. 
um, things of that nature. So it feels like we're starting to uh, get back to, you know, some sort of normalcy here. And uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's talk Colts and continuing to fill out the coaching staff this week. Nate Ollie hired his defensive line coach, 30-year-old, out of Ball State. He was also an assistant defensive line coach. Yeah, that's right, chap. If I if I mentioned Syracuse every show, you should be, be at least be be allowed to to bring Ball State in there for sure. So I'm going to uh, work Danny. I'm going to work Danny Pinner's name in here somehow today. Perfect. I, I'm sure we will. Um, so he was also a defensive line coach, similar position with the Eagles uh, before the Jets. Uh, Mike Mitchell was hired as secondary coach. He's 34 years old, played 10 seasons in the NFL. His last year was with the Colts back in 2018. Was signed as kind of a midseason replacement when the Colts desperately needed some safety help. Um, Reggie Wayne is in the process of being Indy's wide receiver coach. Um, that's a report from Mike Chappell was one of the first to, to bring it up, uh, over the previous weeks, but really this week at the combine, Frank Reich was asked about it directly and he all but confirmed it just saying that, um, it, it's in the process of happening. Just some other things need to happen first before, uh, Wayne can actually, uh, officially take the title. And, uh, Reggie did have a stint as a coach intern in training camp under Frank Reich back in 2018. And uh, as uh, that, all that added to Indian, uh, the Colts hire in Cato June last week as assistant linebackers coach, Mike, when you look at all these positions, there's some young guys. Uh, there's some guys with a very, very little coaching experience um, with uh, Mitchell and Reggie Wayne in particular, but uh, your, your overall uh, take from, from the news this week is the Colts continue to fill out their coaching staff. What strikes me is they bring in Mike Mitchell with no coaching experience. He's 34. And Cato June, who has really kind of worked his way up from high school coach to college coach to to Reggie. And those are are assistants. Those are assistants at the position. Reggie's going to be the guy. That's his room. And this will be his first coaching gig. In 2018, he was here for many camp OTAs and training camps. So they got a good look at him. But it, it's rare, I think, when a guy's first job isn't assistant coach at East Carolina, whatever. It's as, a, as an NFL position coach. That speaks volumes, I think. And, and Frank mentioned that to what Reggie brings as a coach and as a person, as a, and as a former player, how he relates, how he, he motivates, how he instructs. Uh, and, and Frank told us, he said, I've been trying to hire this guy for four years. And uh, so we'll see. I think it's a great move. One thing that struck me when Reggie was here, he came in 2001 when Marvin was really established. It was how important it was for Marvin to pay it forward to Reggie. And then when Marvin's gone, it was up to Reggie to pay it forward with T.Y. And they saw the value of that. And and I, I think they really lacked... I really think they lacked Reggie's leadership when he left on the field locker room, meeting room, and they're trying to recapture that. And we talked prior to this about somebody asked me, well, is is this a PR move, bringing back players from the 2000s when they were so outstanding? And and no, it can't can't be. You You can't bring back guys just because, you know, they're in the ring of honor or they're on your Super Bowl team. Because because players look past that very quickly. They're bringing guys in there because they think they can be an asset to the team. All three of these guys at their positions bring expertise uh, that should be invaluable to this roster moving forward. 
Joe, uh, Mike mentioned uh, Reggie's leadership aspect, and that uh, was something that uh, both Frank Reich and Chris Ballard singled out for Mike Mitchell in particular after he were, uh, played here back in 2018. And uh, the, the, some of the players said the same thing, too. I think Kenny Moore being one of them uh, talked about the next year after the 2019 season, right, really missing some of that leadership on the defensive side of the ball when uh, when the team took a step backward and didn't make the playoffs in, in the 2019 season. Um, so Mitchell is another one of those guys that uh, that I'm sure the Colts are hoping to bring some leadership in there. And um, exactly exactly what was missing, you know, leadership wise, you could probably um, you could go back and forth on that. But nevertheless, it, it seems to be that, that that's part of the that's part of the reason that uh, that these decisions are being made, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It, it seems like the Colts are recognizing that something was missing missing in that organization and they're doing their best to address it with guys who they know uh, have brought leadership to this Colts organization in the past. Um, some of it, I mean, has to come from the players. So it can't, it can't all come from the coaches. Players are going to have to step up and either take leadership roles or they're going to have to bring in players who are just flat out leaders. Um, but, but I love the steps that they're taking here. It'll be great to have Reggie back on the sidelines. You know, uh, I'm sure he'll be very excited next time uh, Pittman or whatever, Wide receiver the Colts might bring in makes a big play. Um, but it's nice to see some guys who have had success with the horseshoe back in the organization. Well, Colts general manager Chris Ballard and head coach Frank Reich spoke on Tuesday at the NFL Combine in downtown Indianapolis. And although the uh, topics of conversation were many, and we'll get to a couple of them, but the uh, most ardent one and the most frequently discussed one was, of course, the uh, status of quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, Chris Ballard, we'll kind of discuss some of these quotes one by one here, saying we're still working through it. And I know I'm going to let a lot of, get a lot of questions about Carson right now. I don't have a direct answer for you. Mike, they're still working through it more than two months after the season is over. I don't have a direct answer for you two, re- two months after the season is over. Um, it seems like it, you just keep kind of kicking the can down the road here and keep pushing it forward. If they don't know what they're doing by now, like less than two weeks from the start of the new league year, I I, I highly doubt that is the case. They know. I mean, they and they've probably known for a few weeks. It just behooves them to to tap dance as much as they can. And because again, ideally, ideally they trade Carson Wentz. They they find a quarterback needy team, and there are what six seven quarterback needy teams. That, that maybe think they're a quarter away from from taking the last step, and it, it's it's there's no official word, but every everything everything they don't say about Carson Wentz tells you that they're moving on. They've had now four chances: Frank Reich twice, and Chris Ballard twice after the season and at the combine to say something, to say something that you can kind of stretch into support, and they haven't done it. Uh, so I, I think it's, it, it's, we, we come, we come away frustrated as a media because, you know, from people I've talked to and from everyone else, we're, we're, we're 99.9 for sure what they're going to do, but they, they still need to, to hedge their bet because they want to try to get something for him. And whether that's a three or a four or whatever, I don't know. I get the impression they'll take whatever they can get. You know, as opposed to cutting him, but 
I, I may have mentioned this before, but Joe's got a better chance at quarterback on this team next year than Carson Wentz does. And I, you know, he's, he's limbering up his arm and, you know, but, but I, I just think it's, it's, I think the decision has been made to move on and we can talk a little bit more about it if you want have already, but what's truly amazing to me, true is that in my mind, they are ready to move on and they don't know what they're moving on to. If that doesn't tell you volumes about where they are with Carson Wentz, I don't know what does. And Chris added that they would sit down over the next 10 days and figure out exactly where he's going. And obviously, so he's saying we'll do what's best for the Colts in the short term and the long term. And um, certainly short term, it would behoove them to get a pick. And maybe that pick turns into a long term benefit uh, as well. Uh, Frank Reich is the only one who who gave Carson any type of uh, really endorsement saying, I believe in him. Like, I still believe in him. It's something that Chris Ballard uh, would not say, Joe. And uh, Frank added, I stuck my neck out for him last year. I was a big part of the decision to get him there. I believe he's going to continue to have a lot of success at quarterback. But then, of course, Frank continued to say that might be here. That might not be here. That decision has yet to be made. So uh, when we, we, we've all known that Frank Reich is Carson Wentz's biggest advocate in that triumvirate of Ballard, Reich and, and Ursag. But. Uh, at the end of the day, if it's one against two, or even if it's uh, two against one, and the one is Ursay on the other side, uh, I think that that's um, that's that's all she wrote. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear if it was up to Frank Wright and only Frank Wright, Carson Wentz would be staying, and there wouldn't be any controversy about it. Um, he even added that if we had won that game in Jacksonville, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Yeah, um, which just goes to show how huge that loss was in Jacksonville. I mean. Still probably the biggest regular season loss in franchise history, especially if it turns out that it's what the the final domino that got your quarterback out of town that you had just traded for. Um, yeah, hopefully, you know, Frank Wright isn't the only uh, high ranking player in a, or a person in an organization that thinks highly of Carson Wentz because the Colts would like to trade him. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear these this high praise of Carson Wentz and. We've even talked about it in episodes past. He wasn't terrible all season long, but it just kind of seemed like when there were big moments to be made and step up, Carson really only did it once in the Arizona game um, and, and failed to get the job done in several other key aspects. And I think that's what others in the organization are leaning on and in, in, in trying to get rid of him. So I know it's got to be a tough situation for Frank Wright and a very awkward situation. Um, but I still think overall he's a good coach, even if um, maybe maybe Ballard and Ursay don't completely buy in on the next quarterback he's just bringing in. Frank also said that the team is built to win now. It doesn't last forever, a window uh, to win. And we do have a window here, and we do have a mature team that's coming into his prime. Uh, Mike, we've kind of broken down a couple things already as we've gone through the Colts roster this year, though, talking about a mature team. They have some mature pieces for sure, but... A lot of those most important pieces, quarterback, edge rusher, left tackle, dominant cornerback, or like a number one shutdown corner, playmakers on the outside, those positions that are viewed as the most important positions on the team are what they've had questions in for the past couple seasons. That's the same this offseason yet again. That's what, again, if you prioritize positions in building a team, you just name like the top five. 
and those are the ones, and I've contended that they went into last offseason with issues or concerns there, and here they are again. And, and, and that's not where you want to be. You want to have addressed last year's concerns, and now you move on to something else. But they still have questions at quarterback. Is Eric Fisher your left tackle? Maybe. Uh, you addressed the, the, the edge pass rush with, with uh, Quiddy Pay and Dio. But, and you think you you think you're you're pretty happy with Quiddy. You you really are, Dial. You really don't know. You hope. Uh, and we talked. You know, we'll talk a little later later about the cornerback situation. We like two or three of them, but who's the guy? Especially if you probably don't bring back Xavier Rhodes. So that, that's the problem I run into. I really like this roster. There, there are some really good pieces in place. You know, along the offensive line, along the defensive line, at linebacker, running back for crying out loud is loaded still but boy the the four or five pieces that just jumped that, that got the neon lights going on somehow whether it's in the draft which maybe or free agency probably they've got to find a way to address most of those positions to, to get where they want to be and, and in my mind this can be a whole nother show later on you can take care of all of these left tackle and get your pass rusher in a corner and all this but if you don't have the right quarterback, you're looking at nine and eight. I mean, you, you just are. So they've got to get that one pillar in place to make the rest of them work. Well, one player who has been a pillar uh, in the Colts organization for a decade now is T.Y. Hilton. And he might be back for another year. Chris Ballard said on Tuesday, as of a couple weeks ago, T.Y. wanted to play again. So Chris said that he's going to talk again to T.Y. and said T.Y. can still play in the NFL for sure. Um, Mike, I think we were thinking, we were all thinking a couple weeks ago that T.Y. was done. Uh, sure sounded like it when he talked to us after the season. At least maybe we misread him. But T.Y. for another year, um, I think, is intriguing. But it's not exactly a solution to the problem at wideout. It, right? You can't rely on T.Y. to be T.Y. of 2018 anymore, or 2015, whatever it is. Yeah, that that's really going to be interesting because he, he would have to come back here, one, at your price. What did he get? Was it a one-year $8 million, one-year $10 million deal? Right around there, yeah. The Colts, when they overpaid, you know, they, they sweetened it to get him to come back here. That's not I, – I just – that would be so wrong to invest that kind of money in him for, for what you're probably going to get. Uh, maybe he's your three. But like you said, you, you bring T.Y. back. That doesn't solve your, your overriding problem, issue, uh, however you want to put, phrase it, at the position, which is a a legitimate, something that approaches a one who can give you a downfield threat. So, you know, one, do you want him back? Two, will he come back in a role, in a much lesser role, at a much lesser contract? Would I bring him back? I... Probably on that really on that modest contract, probably, uh, and, and maybe Reggie can, can can get more out of him. Although it, it's been more of a health issue than it's been what he's done in the field. But I'm probably fifty fifty on bringing Ty back because that does not fix your problem at that position. Yeah, Joe, I think that uh, we can all agree that it doesn't fix a problem. But uh, there there isn't a fan who's walked in a Colts fan who's walked into Lucas Oil Stadium over the past ten years 
who hasn't done the T.Y. chant. So it would be a nostalgic uh, boom to bring him back, but uh, not necessarily like like we were saying there, a, a, a really solving a problem. You can't count on T.Y. to to be a number one and number two anymore. I think Chap hit the nail on the head when he said he can he can probably be a three at best on on an NFL team right now. I agree with that. And it, this is just kind of surprising because it felt like last year was the farewell tour. There was yep. a whole fan campaign to bring him back one more year, got the one year contract. And then because of mostly health purposes, it really didn't work out. Um, it would have been almost nice to see T.Y. not right off to the into the sunset with a loss to Jacksonville, but just kind of go off and the Colts move on at wide receiver. Um, I on one hand, I don't want to see T.Y. play for another team. On the other hand, whatever they're going to pay him is taking it away from another position. And like you guys said, I really don't know how how much T.Y. Hilton moves the needle at wide receiver at this point in his career. And I, I, I think, love I yeah, Go ahead, Mike. One, go ahead. One, one plus or perk to bring him back is you wouldn't have to take his mural down from Lucas Oil. <laughs> So you can save yourself some expense of yanking his picture down, but I'm really curious to see. And remember one thing that T.Y. always told us, and Ballard didn't really move the needle here. He said, I'll make my decision after I talk with Jack Doyle. And and Jack Doyle hasn't given the team uh, an answer yet, but uh, I'm really interested to see how this T.Y. thing plays out, whether they want him back, and if not, is there a market out there? Does Kansas City or somebody like that see him as a great third down slot guy over the middle field? I'm really intrigued by what might happen with T.Y. Jack Doyle, of course, is still under contract for one more year with the Colts. T.Y. will be a, a true free agent, so he'll have the ability to go elsewhere if he wants to. But yeah, that was something that T.Y. had told us, that he wanted to talk to Doyle. And uh, kind of they would make their decisions after that about what comes next in their lives. So. And like you said, Mike, I mean, the, the more we wait, the more we don't hear anything, the more likely it is that Jack Doyle especially is coming back since he's the one who's actually under contract. You, you would think that Jack would would tell the Colts before free agency begins what, what his plans are going to be. At least that's what that's what you would hope to do if you're the team who's in charge of, of replacing him through free agency through the draft. So uh, that that's something that the I guess the, the more time passes, just the more you think oh, Jack's coming back and then maybe T.Y. too. Well, yeah. Remember, Philip Rivers retired in what second week of January. Yes, because because I think I think when you know, you know, and if you don't know, you know, maybe you you don't want to leave too soon. And and I know Jack would love to walk away while he can walk away with with being as healthy as he can, but I think he does, he just loves being a football player while he can, and I think the worst thing a player fears or the one thing the player fears is to, to walk away and think man i could still have done this a little yes the money i think he's owed six or seven million dollars that that's a big deal too but i think it's just being in the locker room being on the field being around the team that's really hard to give up well yeah. one thing they might be waiting on to find out who the quarterback is going to be for the colts i mean two pass catchers uh that 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 make a big difference on whether they come back or not i would think the NFL Combine will kick off this afternoon in terms of on-field workouts. 4 p.m. on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium will be quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends this Thursday. 
Tomorrow, Friday, begins running backs, offensive line, special teams. Saturday is defensive line, linebackers. Sunday is defensive backs. It's kind of the four groups that they've done over the past years. It works well. So that's what they're going to continue to do. And starts off with really the marquee group, quarterbacks. Even though it's not really a marquee quarterback class, you don't think, in terms of um, especially looking at the past couple years of quarterback classes in the draft. But teams got the chance to meet with quarterbacks behind the scenes, medicals, um, but also passing drills out there on the field, um, which, uh, Mike, you always tell us that all those drills on the field are, are the least important things for teams here at the Combine. Medical is the most important. Interviews are second most important. Then comes the uh, the ability to see what these guys can do out on the field. But still, it's a little something that to, to throw on TV and get fans uh, to whet their appetite again for, for football and to see uh, these uh, these draft prospects. What's truly amazing and what tells you where the Combine is, it was about 10 or 12 years ago, maybe, yeah, about that long ago, where you you couldn't get in. I mean, it, this was Fort Knox on information. And slowly they allowed like 20 of us from the pro football writers to come in and watch quarterback drills. You, you could sit up at the press box and watch these guys throw. And then we came down and we, we sort of gave a pool report to everybody else. Well, now there's the, each day there's there's up to 10,000 people, fans, fans in the stands. So, Joe, if you're not busy, at, you know, whenever this starts, wander down there. It, it's free. They're selling concessions. You can have a couple of brewskis if you want. It just shows you how the NFL, Indianapolis has done such a great job of making this what it is. Now, the NFL is trying to maximize it, and that includes having 10,000 people, fans, in the lower bowl of the stadium to watch these live drills, which probably drives coaches and GMs and scouts crazy. They're going to have, I was told they're going to have like when a, when, when a running back comes out to do his 40, there's going to be like a WWE music walk-in for the player. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's going to be like something we've never seen, but it's going to be like where we are now in all these events and all these sports. Joe, I know you're in for it. See what, see what it looks like. I love it. I've been, you know, the measurements have been trickling out on Twitter today, and uh, that's already got me excited. Maybe I will head head on down there and have myself a nine dollar Bud Light and watch the uh, <laughs> watch the workouts going on. What what's your measurement on your quarterback? Was like eight and a half or whatever? How big's your hand, Joe? I, I don't know. I, I should go home and measure my hand. I, I I got small paws, as my dad says. He can palm a basketball. I cannot. Um, can but, he palm a football? I can palm a football. I can get that done. So, you know, you get, I'm inspired to go. Maybe the Colts have open tryouts and I can, I can sling it to TY for one more year. Uh, but speaking of small paws, I know uh, a lot of, a lot of the talk on Twitter right now is about um, Kenny Pickett quarterback out of pit uh, eight and a half inch hands, which is, you know, there was, there was some talk about Burroughs nine inch hands a couple years ago. Uh, eight and a half inch hands would be historically small for an NFL quarterback. Obviously, you know, he didn't seem to have crazy amount of issues at Pittsburgh playing in cold Pittsburgh weather. Um, so I, I, I don't know how much that's going to impact him. But when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks and if guys are close on a draft board, small things like that are tiebreakers for NFL teams. Looking at the top quarterbacks in this draft, you have guys like Malik Willis of Liberty, Kenny Pickett of Pitt, Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Uh, Joe, those are probably the guys you think go in the first round. Then after that, 
Uh, a couple more that are very much tweeners, first or second round, Sam Howell, North Carolina, Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati, Carson Strong out in Nevada. Uh, those are the top quarterbacks in this class that fans are going to have the chance to see on the field this afternoon and evening. Yeah, barring medicals, as you said, I think Willis Pickett and Corral are first-round locks. Um, and how, how high they go, I don't know. The desperation to address the quarterback position seems to suggest they'll go near the top 10, if not in the top 10. Um, but you know, there's a good chance one of these guys may be available for the Colts in the second round. I think Carson Strong is probably the most likely to be available at that point. Desmond Ritter is a guy who might have just as much upside as anybody, um, but due to inconsistency, might be available in the second round as well. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And several of these quarterbacks, one of their main assets is their running ability. So how they test athletically at the combine will matter and will make a difference. Um, I wouldn't put too much stock into how they throw at the combine. They're throwing to you know wide receivers that they don't have timing and rhythm down with. Um, so the, the pro day will matter more for throwing drills than the combine will. But you know what's Malik Willis's forty time? He's you know considered the most or the best running quarterback in this draft. Um, that'll be exciting to see along with several other of these players. With, uh, with, go ahead, Chad. And you guys can dive in on it after Frank's, you know, admitting that the window and players that are approaching in their prime are in their prime. How receptive do you think this team would be to taking a quarterback at 47 that they like, not just to take one, but that they like and say, we're going to go forward with this, with this rookie and with Sam Ellinger I mean, can can you imagine the team doing that, or does this just beg that short-term fix again as a veteran and then maybe take that quarterback with the idea that he's your guy in 2023? I think think it's entirely possible that they draft a quarterback, but they would have to pair him with a veteran um, as kind of that short-term gap just in case a rookie's not ready to go this season. But as we've talked about in episodes past, having your quarterback on a rookie contract would go such a long way in the Colts being able to address these other positions of need and re-sign their own players. So I don't I do think ideally the in an ideal world, the Colts would be able to draft uh, a quarterback to not only be their long term guy, but in the short term, offer them cap flexibility. But to rely on a second-round pick to start year one on a team that's reaching maturity, as you said, would be a lot. Yeah, it, it would certainly fly in the face of what Frank said this week, I think, to, to draft a guy in the second round and make him your starter right away. Right? We've seen some, some guys over the past couple of years be drafted and be successful as rookies in the NFL. But not, not too many of those come in the second round or the third round or beyond that. I mean— as rookies, did did Russell Wilson play as a rookie as a third round pick? He did, and and he was pretty good. He got uh, Matt Flynn. Yeah, he was. He wasn't too bad. Um, I think Derek Carr was also a second round pick who played his okay. rookie year. I don't think yep. he was not. He wasn't as good as Russell Wilson as a rookie, right. but right. it happens. But it's not very. No, it's you look not at, very likely. J- just a year or two ago, when Jalen Hurts, of course, got the nod in Philadelphia as well. Um, so those are some guys who who have who have played, but none none of them were. I think I think Russ would probably be the best one out of his rookie year. All the other ones were certainly taking lumps and um, and building for something in the future more so than 
leading a, quote, mature team that is ready to win now that kind of Frank Reich uh, addressed. So I, I'd assume, Chap, you, you would you'd probably agree that um, that the uh, the veteran quarterback would be the the way we would think it, it would go. But again, that that's something that didn't happen last year when we were talking about leading into the 2021 season, that Carson Wentz was your starter. We thought that the Colts needed to get a, a veteran backup for him because of Wentz's injury history. It never happened. So um, it, it was purely Eason, which didn't work out, and and Ellinger as, as as backups, and then you get Brent Huntley and all that. So, like, it, I, I've I, I've I've stopped guessing what the Colts are going to do at quarterback because uh, a lot of the times I've been wrong. You know, it, I, I, again, we're all, I'll speak for myself. I'm expecting him wins to be gone, whether it's a cut or a trade, and I, I maybe maybe they've got this this secret plan that they know what they're going to do, not what, but, but who they, 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 everybody's forgetting this guy or what I, I, I look over this every day and I'm trying to think what the best option is. And, and the best, op- the, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants, they, they look around the AFC and they see all these young gunslinging leaders. The Colts aren't going to get that. It's just, you know, it's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to be Russell Wilson. And if you, if you rack your brain and say, okay, who who would you take to be the short-term bridge? I'd take a Marcus Mariota because I would trust – screw it up. And boy, that's a bad way of moving forward with a quarterback. But Jimmy G, I mean, really? Isn't he having shoulder surgery? So it, it, it's just a bad time. It's a bad time to try to reload on a quarterback and, you know, do they know something we don't, I don't, do they have a a trade all lined up? I don't know, but they're not going to show up on March 16th or 17th when when this is official and they move on and say, Oh gosh, now, now what are we going to do? I mean, they've got their ideas on what, what's behind door, you know, two, three, four, but, it, it, like I say, it, it just speaks volumes on where they are that they're more than likely willing to move on. And in all likelihood, unless you guys disagree, I don't know who they're going to bring in that's going to be a clear upgrade as far as being able to play the position. You would hope that the guy wouldn't make you, – you were hope you'd, you'd hope this guy could make the layups, as Chris Ballard talked about. So – I, again, I, I use the word intrigued. This is such an important offseason. As Chris Ballard says, you've got to get that position right. You just – and Frank's gotten a lot of criticism, and he should. I mean, it's his guy. I mean, I don't think they had to talk anybody in to Phillip Rivers two years ago. I, I think there was consensus that he's, he's the guy. Last year, Frank had to – last February, whatever it was, had to really – talk these guys into it, I guess, for the lack of a better word. And I, I think Chris was okay. He, he wasn't too hard of a sell. I think Jim Mercy had to really be sold on, on Carson Wentz, and, and and here we are. So I do I think they can get an upgraded quarterback? For for talent, no. But for, for, for playing the game, probably. Certainly helps to fill your, uh, fill your offense with talent around whoever the quarterback is going to be. And Joe, wide receivers in this class, there are some pretty good ones that are going to go pretty high in this draft, but it's also pretty deep in the first couple rounds. Guys that you think can be uh, playmakers uh, that will be drafted in the second round this year as well. 
I got to tell you, I'm really excited that the Colts will be able to get a playmaking wide receiver in the second round of this draft. I mean, I think somebody is going to be there if the Colts want to select them. Obviously, the top guys are going to be gone by the time the Colts pick at 47. Guys like Drake London from USC, the Ohio State wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and Jameson Williams from Alabama. They're all going to go in the first round. But some players who you should keep an eye on because they might be the next Colts wide receiver uh, who could be there in the second round. Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. Um, he measured in a little light today, around 5'10", 5'11", 170 something. But he's a guy who good hands, he can run good routes and has some speed. And the Colts need speed at wide receiver. Um, uh, another guy, maybe my favorite in the second round, Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Um, he's a real field stretcher who can get down the field, uh, but he has some size too. He's six foot one, um, so he has some length to him, and he's got those ten inch hands, those big mitts to clutch the football. Uh, I'll go through a few other names here. Obviously, Dave Bell, someone uh, Indiana, you know, Purdue football fans should be familiar with. He's another second round potential target. Sky Moore from Western Michigan, and George Pickens from Georgia. Those are uh, five names at wide receiver to keep an eye on, see how they perform during their combine uh, drills or 40-yard dash, three-cone, uh, vertical jump, things of that nature, and um, very well could be the next Colts wide receiver. And, Chap, when you look at uh, what the Colts need a wide receiver, there, there's really a, a, a bevy of ways that they can go. The, the guy that you have right now, Michael Pittman, who is, who is for now your number one receiver, is, is a big, strong target. I hate to use the word possession receiver because that probably carries some negative connotations that I don't want to bring with Pittman because I think he can stretch the field somewhat as well. But you, you could use a guy like Joe was talking about with Jalen Tolbert who can really take the top off of defense. You can use a guy that is really a, a smaller guy like a Jahan Dotson who can who could work in the slot and gain you six yards on a third and four when you absolutely need it because he's really sharp, crisp route runner. There's there, there's multiple ways that the Colts can attack this, and maybe they do something with tight end to to fill to fill that second part, the guy that that need that gets the the short yardage when you need him. But but it's not like the culture really, I think, would limit their options at wide receiver. There, you could go almost any way possible with any size possible, any type of looking wide receiver possible, and he can find a role here with this Colts team. Well, and I think this is a position, this and it, uh, more than edge pass rush. I think this is a position where you look draft and you look free agency. I, I I really do. I think this position cries out for that type of of attention. And again, that again, that's besides whether they go back with Ty or not. They they, they really Chris Ballard really likes Zach Pascal, and Zach Pascal really had a bad year last year. And then the other guys, they, they just show you the flash, the, the Ashton Doolin and. And, and Des Patman with with the great catch on the great throw against the Cardinals, but boy, I just think they need to bring in two difference making possibilities in the off season draft. And like I say, the the last few years you've gotten quality guys in round two, round three, and I I, I do see that as a real strong possibility. And uh, you know Joe's been equipped on who who might be better at this stuff but uh I mean, don't take david bell because he's he's a local kid take him because he's a quality receiver and that, that's what these, these guys aren't get blinded by trying to sell 
five more season tickets because David Bell went to Purdue and Warren Central. They want players who can help them. And, and a quick side note that came up with Ballard, too, with Paris Campbell. Uh, I think seen where he, I think he sort of mentioned, we see him, we're not going to move forward with him as our two or our three simply because of the, of the injury history. But boy, they think this guy's got such potential if he can stay healthy, which he's not staying healthy. That's that's exactly the problem. And and Joe, you're bring, obviously Paris Campbell's going to come back on the roster. He's under contract, but he's a guy that like you, you can't rely on him to get you much as you're as you're building this receiving core. He might he get you a lot. Yeah, I think he can if he's healthy. Absolutely. But as you're building this receiving core, you can't be like, oh, we can we can slot Paris Campbell in for 600 yards, you know, and four or five touchdowns. You, you, you can't do that. Anything he gives you this year has to be a plus. You have to draft and go into free agency thinking that way, that Paris Campbell is just an added benefit. Yeah, he's an icing on the cake guy. If he gives you anything this year, you're happy about it. But, I mean, based on history, the last three years, the Colts would be fools to really rely on Paris Campbell as anything other than maybe a wide receiver four. What about tight end, uh, Joe? You got uh, no high-end tight end prospects in this draft, but there is there's some depth to be had again there. Yeah, the top tight end in the draft might be there at 47 for the Colts, and that's uh, Trey McBride out of Colorado State. You don't see a lot of college tight ends, top 1,000 yards receiving, and that's what McBride did this past season. Really productive guy. Um, obviously, you catch it for 1,000 yards. You have good hands. Um, he's just kind of a guy who has a good feel for the game. He does have the size to be an inline tight end for the Colts about 6'3", a little over 250. Um, but he, this is going to be a big combine for him because he's not someone considered to be a supreme athlete. If he was, he'd probably go in the first round with that kind of athleticism plus his production. But he's a considered a good athlete, even though he may not be a great athlete. So we'll see what he runs. Anything under a 4.840 is good for a tight end. I, I'm pretty sure Zach Ertz, if I remember correctly, ran in the 4.7s. Um, so you can be an excellent wide or tight end in this league running in the four sevens. A few other names to keep an eye on at tight end for the Colts. Jeremy Rucker out of Ohio State. He's a guy who might have a little higher of a ceiling because of his athletic potential. About 6'5", a really aggressive blocker who's made some big plays for Ohio State in the passing game, even though their passing game didn't necessarily feature him. Uh, I'll run through a few more here. Jalen Weidermeyer out of Texas A&M, another guy expected to perform well in the athletic drills. Isaiah Likely in out of uh, Coastal Carolina and Greg Dolchich out of UCLA. They're both guys who are kind of that uh, that move move tight end, a smaller tight end who you don't want to really use in line quite as much. So because the Colts just took Granson last year as kind of that smaller move tight end, I'd be surprised if they went that route. I think the Colts would target more of an inline tight end who you can put next to a tackle and block a defensive end if you need him to, uh, to eventually replace or maybe immediately replace Jack Doyle. Um, but McBride and Jeremy Rucker are two guys I'd be really excited if the Colts drafted. And then if you look at offensive tackle, Chap, if you're if you get like a if you're looking at the draft and you see quote unquote can't miss offensive tackle, left tackle specifically prospects, I mean they're going in the first round. You're probably not going to wait for someone in the second or even third or well well beyond that round and expect to plug them and play them right away at left tackle. I mean, that's a position that's the elite of the elite. 
and probably be difficult for the Colts to get a guy that they can slot right into the offensive line and play left tackle in the draft this year. You agree? Yeah, I was looking. Someone put out that uh, last year starting left tackles, 21 were first-round draft picks. And I assume that would include Eric Fisher, who was, what, first overall in 2013, yep. I think it was. Four in the second round, third in the third round. So th- this is prime positions. I mean, prime positions, left tackle and edge pass rusher, the really, really good ones are like top 10. They, they just are. And we're going to see that. What, will there be two or three left tackles take three? I mean, in the top 10. You know, it's it's get the quarterback, protect the quarterback, get after the quarterback. That That's kind of where you're at. And, you know, Tariq Glenn uh, back in, gosh, what year was it? 97, I think it was. And he was a first-round pick. Costanzo, now he was a late, he was later first-round pick. That's where you get him. And, and if you don't, you're sort of just sort of, you're where the Colts are. You're trying to find the guy. You're and, and you, last year was a perfect example. They're looking for a replacement, and who's out there? Eric Fisher coming off a Pro Bowl, but oh, by the way, an Achilles. So left tackles who are available are either much older. Teams cut him for for for, for uh, again the age injury. There's always there's almost always something with them. There, there's there's a there's a big butt. He's a great player, but, and that's why I, Joe may have mentioned this last week or whatever, but I'm not ruling out Eric Fisher coming back just because, because give him another year removed from the Achilles and, and he ended the season with, with a peck and a knee, I think it was. So we'll see, but that doesn't mean the Colts aren't going to draft an offensive lineman because they are. I just hope they don't wait till the seventh round. Did, didn't he get Will Fries? Fr- Fries, yeah. When it's kind of like he, Ballard just wanted to appease the the media. So here's your here's your lineman. Yeah, he came out and talked to us. He was like, "Are y'all happy? I got I got your lineman." So, <laughs> yeah, right. was, but but I tell you, as much as he may tweak the way he approaches the off season, I think he'll I think he'll be more active. I really do. In free agency, he believes to his core, offensive line, defensive line. He does, he does, and they've got. We talked was it last week or two weeks ago about most of their offensive line is unsigned, uh, and they'll address that. But they will draft an offensive lineman somewhere mid rounds as a project, as a guy that can step in and play at some point, not necessarily as a rookie. Joe, this week at the combine can be pretty important for offensive linemen because it's one of those positions that measurables do get put under the microscope a little bit more, especially at left tackle, the kind of the peak position on that offensive line. Yeah, le- length is really the key thing that kind of separates left tackles from someone that they go, okay, we're going to slide him into guard or move him over to right tackle. Prototypical left tackles um, have 34 inch arms or longer. There are exceptions, obviously. Rashawn Slater had a great rookie season for the Chargers. He had 33-inch arms. Um, but m- most of the time, you want length at left tackle. And you need someone who's a good athlete to handle those speed rushers coming off the edge as they're trying to protect your quarterback's blind side. So length and agility are really two things to look for uh, at offensive tackle during the combine. A few guys who are pretty athletic at offensive tackle who may be there uh, in the second or third round for the Colts. Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan, 
uh, he his length is 33 inch arms, so that might dip him down the board a little bit. Um, but he's a guy who came to college playing tight end, packed on a ton of weight, is new to the game, still learning. So his ability to be ready to start right away in year one would be in question, um, which is another reason he might be there in the second round. But he has a high ceiling because he's so athletic. Uh, a couple other athletic guys, Nick Petit Freer. I uh, hope I'm saying that right. From Ohio State, he's the guy with the length and athleticism. And Max Mitchell from Louisiana um, can move as well, though he needs to get a little bit stronger out there and put on a little more weight. He's maybe a third, fourth round guy that the Colts could add. Um, you know, I even if he doesn't develop into a starter, but he's a solid swing tackle, I still think that's worth a fourth round pick. Chris Ballard famously has measurables that he likes at cornerback that were completely blown out of the water by Kenny Moore, uh, really just because one of his scouts wore him down, wore him down, wore him down, and uh, Kenny got a got a spot on the roster, mostly because the Colts just needed to sign a warm body at the end of a training camp uh, back in 2017 or 2018, whatever year that was. Um, and, uh, and then Kenny came, and the rest is history with him. But um, when, when you look at cornerback, and we'll, we'll really take an in-depth look at corner in just a couple minutes here in our last positional breakdown, uh, for the Colts this offseason. Uh, Joe, you say it could be a sneaky need for Indy, and I think that's certainly true, especially uh, on the outside. You know, Kenny kind of is, is great, solidified there at the nickel position, uh, but uh, but depending on the decisions that the Colts make uh, at outside cornerback, that certainly could be one that they look to fill as a position of need in the draft as well. Yeah, with Xavier Rhodes uh, set to become a free agent and Rocky Sin in the final year of his contract, I mean, the Colts could potentially be looking at uh, two new starters for their outside cornerback position. So if there's a guy that they really like who's sitting there at 47 overall and he's, you know, by far the highest ranked player on their board, they might go cornerback and pass up a pass catcher in round two. So uh, a few names who are really talented but might still be there in the second round. Kyler Gordon for Washington. He's expected to test just off the charts, so his testing might push him up into the first round. But a couple other names, Roger McCreary from Auburn and Kyra Elam from Florida. Those are some guys to watch at the Combine, see how they perform, because they're two potential round two picks for Indianapolis. Chap, if you look at defensive end, the Colts spent their top two picks last year uh, on on defensive linemen in Pay and Dio Dangbo. So the... Uh, prevailing wisdom, I guess is the way you might put it, would be that they would not take a defensive end high in that second round pick at 47. But it was still a position that Frank Reich, I'm not Frank Reich, that Chris Bauer referred to postseason as one that they really didn't have enough at the end of the year. They really need like two full units, eight full guys to to rotate in and out on the defensive line is how he likes things to operate there. So so like I said, it, it might not be what you think the Colts would take, but if the right guy's there, Mike, maybe they would consider another high pick on a defensive end here in this year's draft. Yeah, and I, I think what they do in free agency will give them an idea, because one thing he did mention uh, after the season was over is he wished he had brought in a veteran presence as, as an edge rusher, uh, a la Justin Houston or even Danico Autry, that, that they really, really lacked. And – he mentioned how losing Taekwon Lewis to that patella injury against was it uh, the Tennessee game was just a crippling blow. 
And it's it's like offensive linemen. You can never have enough good defensive linemen, especially as edge pass rushers. Kamoko Ture is a free agent. Uh, Mohammed's a free agent. So I, I just think as far as the draft, and let, I, I just have a hard time believing that when you get in the second and third round that they're sitting there and somebody's there that they just didn't expect. I just think, you know, the the really good ones go early and the rest of them, there's there's obviously a reason they're there whether they're a little small or, or, or whatever. And I think that to me, this is the position draft wise that you have to trust your draft. You have to trust that you hit with Quiddy pay and, and Dio last year. And that, that, that Taekwondo Rose could come back and give you something. But I, again, I maybe Joe disagrees. I, I just can't see them finding the guy in the second, third round that everybody else passed up. And this guy just really, Rings your bell. I, I just have a hard time seeing that. Joe, what do you think about the second round options for the Colts, possibly? It is in, I mean, time will tell, but it is shaping up to be a historically uh, both top heavy, but also deep draft to defensive end. So maybe there is a guy that the Colts are really excited about there in round two. Uh, I kind of agree that it would be ideal for the Colts to bring in a proven commodity at defensive end through free agency, because if not, they're going into next year kind of in a similar position where they have relative unknowns at defensive end. But if they do draft somebody, a few really talented guys who might still be around in uh, the second round of the draft, Arnold Abikite out of Penn State, really athletic player. I mean, all three of these guys are freak athletes. Boye Mafe out of Minnesota and Maje Sanders out of Cincinnati. Um, all three of them are expected to test really well. They'll be it'd be interesting to see how they perform at the combine. And if they're there in the second round, I guarantee the Colts are going to at least consider it. Some uh, drills that are important for defensive ends. If you're watching the combine, certainly that 10 yard shuttle, that three cone drill, because bursts, energy, Joe, probably the two of the most important things that uh, that scouts and evaluators are looking for here at the combine on the field. Yeah, you got to get off the line quick if you're can jump off the offensive line and get on that tackle quickly. That really shows up in the 10-yard shuttle and then the three-cone. I mean, you got to turn some tight corners to get around that tackle and to the quarterback so the three-cone can really highlight some of that ability as well. So the NFL Combine will be going on for the next couple of days out at Lucas Oil Stadium. Some of the top prospects from this coming NFL draft set to uh, show their stuff in front of NFL scouts and evaluators. For the Colts, the last position we're getting to this offseason for our positional breakdown is defensive backs. As a team, the uh, Colts have about $37, $38 million in salary cap space this offseason and a couple of free agents to be at cornerback. Xavier Rhodes has nine years in the NFL, the last two spent with the Colts. He'll be 31 years old when the season begins. He had three picks and 19 passes defended in his two seasons with the Colts. Um, Mike... This is a guy I think that the first year was pretty good with Rhodes in Indy. The second year had ups and downs for sure, and the downs you could maybe point to injuries as part of that and use that as a reason to bring him back again. But I think with him getting up there in age and coming off some more injuries, the Colts might look elsewhere at cornerback this offseason. That's at least where I am leaning toward when I'm thinking what the Colts might want to do with Xavier Rhodes. Yeah, and the next guy on the list, T.J. Carey. I thought they got really good production out of both those guys in year one. In year two, I think injuries really impeded both of them. I mean, T.J. Carey started the season on 
IR, I believe. I think he had a, a knee issue. So I, I think you just thank Xavier Rhodes for what he gave you and you move on. And I, I think we'll talk a little bit later about this as well. So much of the speculation already is, is, is Casey Hayward comes here and, and stays with Gus Bradley. And, and that would be your, your, your Xavier Rhodes 2.0 trying to reload there. So I just think they're, I think they've gotten all they think they can get from Rhodes and Kerry and, they try to reload at the position. At safety, three different players will be free agents. George Odom and Anderson Deho, who combined for 17 starts last year because the primary starters, Kari Willis and uh, uh, Julian Blackman, were both out with so many injury problems. Also, Julia Ladai got one start last year. All three of those guys set to be uh, set to be free agents. Uh, Joe, I mean, you have your two starters in, in Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. But nevertheless, you, you need some quality backups when injuries happen, as, as they saw last year. So out of those three guys, which one do you think would be maybe the most likely to come back to the Colts or one that you would want to come back to the Colts? Yeah, it's, it's always good to have that a solid third safety who can come in and start if one of your two guys goes down. Uh, I, I think the best player here would be George Odom, not only because he's had some solid performances at safety, but he's an all pro special teams player as well, but the contract will be interesting. I know he was none too pleased about his uh, restricted tender last year, got paid about 2 million coming off his uh, all pro nod. And so uh, whether Odom returns to the Colts or goes elsewhere where he might be able to make a little more money, potentially have more of a starting role where he could, uh, make more earnings in the future if he can establish himself as a starter. Uh, we'll have to see how all that works out. But I think ideally the Colts bring back George Odom on another team-friendly deal. Yeah, Chap, I think that's uh, that the key words that Joe just uttered there are team-friendly deal. There's going to be a number that Chris Ballard has for him. And I, I would imagine George is going to go out and seek something stronger after what happened last year when he clearly won a little bit more than what he got from the team. So he's one that I doubt would sign very early in free agency. He might take a couple of days or even a week before he decides what to do if he's not getting the offers that he wants out there. Yeah, I think, again, we talk, when we talked to Chris Ballard, he mentioned on free agencies that you know, sometimes you have to pay a little bit more than you want to. But unfortunately, I think George Odom is one of those players that you don't pay more than, than what you're going to offer. And the George Odom, and I don't mean this to be a criticism at all, is he has to understand or maybe accept what he is. And I think that's hard for players to do, especially when he's thrust into the, the, the starting position and played reasonably well. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he thinks, hey, I, I can be I can be that guy. I can be the starter, and with that comes in your mind, you know. Then pay me accordingly. And the question is, does George Odom is he one of those players that has more value to the Colts than he has elsewhere? Does another team see him as as a starter, who who by the way can be special teamer, as opposed to the Colts who say this is a great special teamer who can be oh by the way an occasional starter. So. This will be one where, again, like a lot of these guys, they'll come back on the Colts' offer or they'll go elsewhere. Because I do think there's a handful of players the Colts want back, including him. But I don't know how much wiggle room they're going to have when it comes to, well, if you give me a little bit more, I'll stay. I'm not sure they'll do that with a lot of these players. Colts' defensive backs who are currently under contract include cornerbacks Kenny Moore, Rock Yassine, and Isaiah Rogers. 
And at safety, you got Kari Willis and Julian Blackman. They also signed uh, reserve future deals with Marvell Tell, Anthony Chesley, and Chris Wilcox. So there are some some they're all young. Like all of these guys are young. If you bring back these guys and you let everyone else walk, maybe you do, Mike, want some more veteran leadership in that in that locker room. I mean, you're going to have Mike Mitchell there. And as we talked about earlier, as an assistant secondary coach, and he, I'm sure he will help. But it's always I think it's always nice to have somebody back there as well who, who who's on the field. Um, so whether that is a guy like a, a Anderson Deho or Jaleel Adai, you bring him back to be your third or fourth safety and you draft someone else hoping that he can be your third or fourth safety or you sign someone else in free agency, that uh, aspect to compete as well. Um, like may, maybe maybe a little bit more of a veteran presence uh, there uh, to uh, to include with those guys that you certainly have coming back. Um, maybe they'll get into week or six and they bring in Mike Mitchell back as a player. Hey, so, you know, stranger things have happened, but yeah, I, I, I like to make up for the group, but it's because of it youth, but both positions, safety and corner, you need to vet, you need a veteran addition, probably more in my mind, more so at corner, but I, I we're going to see that happen. That, that's why I think, you know, they always draft corners. You, you always draft DBs. You always do. But I think, again, free agency, and it, it can't be the panacea because you've only got X number of dollars, and it does tend to go quickly. But they need they need to bring in – I get the impression that safety is going to be that that Sendejo type of guy again who, who's been around, and, and he, he'll be – he's got the veteran resume, but he's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. But uh, I think those both positions need to be addressed in free agency. Yeah, Joe, if you look at free agent cornerback specifically – the top guys are really going to get some pretty impressive looking deals, I think, like some big money deals, 14, 15 million plus per year. If you're the Colts and you have needs that, that we all have talked about already, you think that are more important, whether it's an edge rusher or wide receiver or quarterback. I, 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 I think corner is a need like we, you called it earlier in this lineup uh, in our rundown, a sneaky need. I don't know if you can justify spending that much for one of the top tier cornerbacks when there's other things that you want to do in free agency as well. No, especially because, you know, we just mentioned the defensive backs the Colts do have under contract. None of them are under contract for more than two years. Blackman, Rogers, and uh, Kenny Moore have two years. Everyone else just one more year on the deal. So the Colts might have to spend some money re-signing their own at defensive back. Uh, top guys like J.C. Jackson, Stephon Gilmore, Carlton Davis – they're going to command 14 to 18 million per season because cornerback uh, it's, it's an important position. It's extremely difficult position and it's an expensive position. Those guys just cost more than most other positions do. So I'd be very surprised if the Colts spent big money on a cornerback when for at least the time being, they do have a couple solid players and Yasin and then a pro bowler and Kenny Moore. Mike already mentioned it. I think Kenny uh, Casey Hayward just makes so much sense. He he's really excelled with Gus Bradley uh, last season, Las Vegas, previous years with the Chargers. Um, he'll be 33 years old, so it'll probably only be a one or two year deal. Pro Football Focus um, projected about a one year, six and a half million dollar contract, which I think is extremely affordable for a starting cornerback in the NFL. And Hayward was pro football Focus's 13th highest graded cornerback in the entire league last year. So he's still a guy who can get it done. This might be Xavier Rhodes 2.0, but could even be a bit of an upgrade. 
I would say if you're if you're bringing in 33 year old Casey Hayward, Mike, then 31 year old Xavier Rhodes can go. You, you, I mean, you you want some young guys back there in that secondary. I, I was saying earlier that yeah that you want some veteran presence. Absolutely, I'm not going back on that, but. You, I, I would not feel comfortable trotting out 33 and 31 years old at corner. I just don't think that's a recipe for success. No, and again, you and you have to look at roster balance too. Right. You, 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 you need the veteran presence, but you can't have too much if that's going to rob another position. And one thing that Joe and I have talked about, and this is interesting too, is when you start prioritizing these these veteran players at positions, I would rather spend – a little more for an edge pass rusher, hoping that makes my secondary better as opposed to paying more for a corner, hoping that makes my, my, my pass rush better. I, I would rather have the edge guy and pay more for that than I would the cover guy. Joe, you agree with that? I do agree. I think it's a great debate out there. Um, you know, especially kind of the new age analytic guys, some would argue that it's better to have uh shut down cornerbacks, but I still tend to think that, you know, a great pass and a great catch still beats great coverage. But if you sack them before the quarterback can even throw the ball, um, that ends the play right there. So I agree with Mike. I'd rather see the Colts spend that money on a on a defensive end, bring in Casey Hayward, and get rolling. And even after a guy like Casey Hayward, uh, Pro Football Focus ranks him as their 25th best free agent this offseason. Even a couple guys behind him, are like Charvarius Ward out of Kansas City, ranked the 47th best free agent. Uh, Darius Williams uh, ranked the 36th best free agent. Um, they both project him for like 10 million plus per year, like three years, 10 million plus, because those are both younger guys, like 26, yeah. 28 years old again. So again, if you sign a younger guy like that in free agency, you're going to have to add a couple more years and a couple more million dollars. For the Casey Hayward, you bring in a guy who's familiar with the system, who is who you know that he's he's on the 16th tee right now in his career. He's getting getting toward the end of it and uh, is a guy that you don't need to pay quite as much, and you can put some of that money elsewhere. But, Joe, of course, after those, there, there's a couple other guys that you've listed here um, at, at just as, as veteran cornerbacks and safeties and free agent that, that are possibilities as well. There's some big names, or at least big names from the past, like Patrick Peterson jumps off the page to me. Joe Hayden was a high draft pick back in the day. So there, there are some, some options there uh, outside of, of course, the very top tier and outside of Casey Hayward, who we're kind of leaning toward as a possibility with his familiarity with the system. Yeah, another guy most fans would recognize, Kyle Fuller, had some really good years with Chicago. Not so great last year with Denver. Maybe the Colts re-sign him, hoping he can kind of bounce back, just like uh, Xavier Rhodes bounced back in his first year with Indianapolis. So there are going to be veteran options out there, and I, I really think that's the route the Colts go at cornerback is, uh, I guess, another Band-Aid. Um, for your second outside starting position, a one or two year deal, maybe six or seven million per season, um, but not invest too much. And at safety, guys like a Jesse Bates from Cincinnati last year, Marcus Williams from New Orleans, Tyron Matthew, Kansas City. These are kind of some of the the biggest uh, names out there with the Colts position at, at safety. We, we've already talked about it. It's very unlikely they they go for a top tier guy, maybe a veteran backup again, like like an Anderson Dejo in, in that type of vein, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think they'll bring in a veteran backup to be that third guy. Um, but uh, I'd be shocked if the Colts spent mo- big money on a safety. I don't think that's really even in their mindset right now. Yeah. Well, well, that's it, guys. We, we've broken down all the positions. Uh, all Chris Bauer has to do is listen to the Colts Blue Zone podcast and 
get his direction and and move forward this offseason. So we I, are. I can see, I can see him listening to this, and he goes to his board, and he's, and he's erasing all the stuff they had on their board, and they're putting in our stuff. That's right. Put it up there on the board, Colts headquarters on West 56th Street. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're done this offseason by any stretch of the imagination. Lots more Colt content, Colts content to get to over the coming weeks. Uh, we'll, I'm sure, break down a bit of what happened at the NFL Combine next week. The draft is coming up one month away. And uh, even just about, well, more than, well, it's really more almost close to two months away. In about one month away or a month and a half, they'll finally get together for uh, their first uh, offseason uh, OTAs or offseason workouts uh, in uh, in mid in mid-April as well. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, the, the whole quarterback situation uh, will be uh, un, will be uh, broken down and we'll have a little bit more of an idea what's going on in the coming weeks as well. So be sure to subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get this down. Uh, get this delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as it drops. And follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes from the Colts throughout the week. You can follow Joe Hopkins at Rota Street. Joe, Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 I'm Dave Griffiths at DaveG underscore sports. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.